I have a question for our, our tech team this morning. Would it create a sound issue if I just bring the um, music stand down to the floor and speak from the floor? Okay, good. I want to do that. That way I'll be closer to you this morning. Okay? All right. That's much better. All right, up close and personal. Now, I do have a question for you this morning, and it has to do with shopping. How many of you ever do grocery shopping? How many of you wish the person next to you did some grocery shopping? All right, here's the question. When you go to the store, um, what brand of coffee do you buy? Somebody tell me the brand of coffee that you buy. Folgers. Best part of waking up is Folgers. Okay. What else? Starbucks, okay, Starbucks coffee. Any other brands of coffee that you like to buy? Maxwell House, okay, there's all kinds of coffee and you typically buy the same brand week after week, year after year, okay. Um, what kind of soup do you buy? Campbell's, okay, what else? Are there any other brands? Yes, there are. <laughs> Progresso, okay, there's several brands. All right, what about uh, peanut butter? What brand of peanut butter? Jiff, okay, Jiffy, okay, somebody's a Jiff fan over here, okay, Peter, what? Pan. Peter Pan, okay, great competitors, what about tuna fish, Starkist, Bumblebee, whatever's on sale, okay, <laughs> now here's, here's my point this morning, um, when you buy a product, the name of the product or the name of the company is important because the company wants you to be able to trust the name, that's what branding is all about, right? Now, people's names are really important, especially in the Bible. Now, take a look at your outline. Look at this statement. It says, in the Bible, a person's name reveals their character. God revealed his name to people in the Bible, and here's the reason, so that they would know him, love him, and trust him. The Bible gives us a number of names and titles for Jesus. And kids, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. That sheet that you have is different names of Jesus, and each of these names reveals something about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And then notice this last statement. It says, these names and titles are a way for us to get to know Jesus better. Here's a reason, so that we will love and trust him more. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So here is the first name that we're going to look at and title of Jesus. The first one is the Alpha and Omega. The Alpha and Omega. And this comes from a verse in the book of Revelation I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, some of you might know this, that the first letter in the Greek alphabet is Alpha and the last is Omega. Now, kids, what's the first letter in the English alphabet? A, what's the last? Z, so it's like saying Jesus is the A to Z. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus always was, that Jesus will always be that he is eternal. Now in the first verse of John's gospel, and John was a friend of Jesus, he was Jesus' best friend, he writes this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And who's the word? If you don't know the answer to a question, yes, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the word, second person of the Trinity. And John goes on to tell us this, that everything that has been made was made through whom? Again, the answer, yes, very good. The answer is Jesus, good. Now, what this means is simply this. The very first verse in the Bible is about Jesus. Who knows the first verse of the Bible? Genesis 1.1. Does anybody know what it says? Very first. In the beginning, God 
created the heavens and the earth. So that's a reference actually to Jesus because it was through Jesus that everything is created. So Jesus is in the first verse of the Bible. Does anybody know the last verse in the Bible? That was a little trickier, isn't it? It's in the book of Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. So when you think about it, Jesus is in the first verse of the Bible, right? The A, and he's in the last verse of the Bible, Z, which is pretty incredible. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. In fact, there's a verse in the book of Hebrews that says this, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our what? Who knows? Our faith. So Jesus is the one who causes us to have faith to believe in him, and he's the one who helps us persevere in that faith year after year so that finally we get home to heaven. So he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That's good news, isn't it? Great. Now we're moving on to the next name of Jesus. So just a quick review. Jesus is what? The Alpha and Omega. Here's the second thing. Jesus is, another name of Jesus, the King of the Jews. Yes, he is the King of the Jews. And look at this verse. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi. Who are the Magi? Who can tell me? They're the wise, not the wise guys, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to do what? We have come to worship him. Now, let me ask you this, and kids, you can tell me the answer to this. Um, what would you expect a good king to do? What are some things a good king would do? Adults, you can chime in here too. What would a good king do? Provide. Okay, good, good. All right, I know it's early. I know it's the Sunday after Christmas, but work with me. Here we go. Okay, good king would provide. What else would a good king do? Protect. Okay. Lead. Right. A good king would do all those things. A good king would really care about people, right? And protect and guide and, and, and lead and all those things. What would a bad king do? Yeah, just the opposite. None of those things. Now, is there a bad king in the Christmas story? What do you think? Yeah, what's his name? Herod is a bad king. Is there a good king in the Christmas story? And who is the good king? Yeah, now you're getting the hang of it. It's Jesus. Exactly. Now, think about this. Jesus is a really, really good king. In fact, we call him a righteous king. Now, here's a question. Did Jesus have any brothers or sisters? Yes. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, we have... Four of his brothers listed by name, and it also says that he had sisters as well. Now, kids, let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus was ever mean to his brothers and sisters? No. Um, do you think he ever pulled his sister's hair? He ever lied to his mom and dad? No, it's hard to imagine, but Jesus, even as a child, was perfect. It must have been hard having Jesus as your big brother, <laughs> since he was perfect, right? Seriously. And so Jesus, he, he grows up and he leaves home when he's probably close to 30 years old and he launches his public ministry. And he says that he's a king and he's come to establish a what? A kingdom. And what confused people is this. They thought Jesus was going to come and overthrow the Romans who had occupied their land, Palestine. They, they couldn't understand this idea that Jesus could be a suffering king. And how did Jesus suffer? Well, we know he suffered when he was arrested and beaten and, and hung on a cross. So does Jesus understand your suffering today? Absolutely, because he suffered physically. If you've got any physical pain this morning, Jesus gets that. 
Um, he was betrayed. He was denied. If that's ever happened to you in a relationship, if there's relational pain, he understands that. He has suffered. But here's the great thing. Jesus isn't just a righteous king or a suffering king. He is a victorious king. Because after he died, what happened three days later? Yeah, he came back to life, and it was a great victory. Now, how many of you have ever watched a football game? Okay. What happens in the stands when a team scores a touchdown? What do the fans do? They go, hey, big, no big deal, right? Yeah, they get excited because they vicariously share in that victory because, hey, that's our team. Well, here's the thing. When you belong to Jesus, you share in his victory. That's your victory too. And church, realize this, that every Sunday, including December 27th, 2015, every Sunday that we come together, this is a victory celebration. We're celebrating what Jesus has done for us because why do we have church on Sunday morning anyway? Because people don't work on Sundays? Why do we do that? It commemorates what historical event? I hope you know this. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the Jewish people used to worship on what day of the week? On Saturday. It was changed in the first century to Sunday because that was the day that Jesus came back to life. So what's the first title of Jesus? You can look. What is it? Alpha and Omega. What's the second? King of the Jews. All right, now we're moving on. Here's the third one. Jesus is the bread of life. Bread of life. And Jesus said this himself. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Wow. That's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? Now, here's, here's an interesting sign on a church that I found this week. Kind of direct. <laughs> Don't you think? Now, here's the question. Where was Jesus born? What city? Bethlehem. Okay, this is good. Yes. He was born in Bethlehem. Does anybody know what the name Bethlehem means? It's a Hebrew name. It means house. B-E-T-H, Beth means house. House of bread. Now, isn't that intriguing? The one who is called the bread of life is born in a city called the house of bread. Now, that's really, really something. Now, here's what I was thinking about. When people heard Jesus say, hey, I'm the bread of life, what did that mean to them? And it probably took them back to a story in the Old Testament. When God's people were going through the desert, they were complaining because they didn't have food, so God gave them what? Manna. And it was manna every day. Manna waffles, manna bagels, manna cotti, um, <laughs> but manna bread. I mean, they got tired of, of manna. And do you know what the word manna means, since we're talking about words? The word manna means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Maybe some of you kids have, you know, come to dinner and your mom gives you some food and you go, what is it? Most husbands are too wise to ask that question. At least they should be. But when Jesus is talking about being the bread of life, he's not talking about bread for our bodies as much as he's talking about bread for what? For our souls. Because there's this time, this is another story, Jesus is getting ready to, to launch his public ministry and he goes into the desert and he is tempted by whom? By Satan. For how many days? Who knows? Yeah, 40 days. That's a really important time frame in the Bible. And for 40 days, Jesus doesn't do what? He doesn't eat. Now, can you imagine? I mean, seriously, that's like if you'd stopped eating today and didn't eat again until, I don't know, sometime in February. It's a long time. And so Satan comes and says, hey, Jesus, you know, why suffer hunger? Just turn these stones into bread. In fact, all these temptations were trying to get Jesus to deviate from the path that God had laid out for him, which was a path of suffering. 
And Jesus says something remarkable. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Because you know what? We need bread for our bodies. We know that. In fact, how many, um, how many times a day do you get hungry? All day? Okay, that kind of covers it. What do you do when you're hungry? What do you do when you're hungry? Ah, exactly, that's what I do too. Now here's the thing. When you're hungry for hope, or hungry for comfort, or for peace, what kind of food do you need? You need some soul food. In the truest sense of the word. And where do you find soul food? It's in this book. It really is. And that's the value of going to God's word and saying, Lord, I need you to feed me because I'm hungry. Now, how often do you think you should do that? Yeah, all day. <laughs> Every day, exactly. That's, well, think about Jesus when he taught his disciples to pray. It's give us today our daily bread. We need food for our bodies and our souls every single day. All right, quick review. What's the first thing? Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. What's number two? Good. Number three? All right, and here is number four. Jesus is the? Yeah, let's say it together. Jesus is the? Good shepherd. And here's what Jesus says in John's gospel. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, I ask you what a good king does. What does a good shepherd do? If you were a really good shepherd, what would you do for the sheep? What do you think? Okay, you take care of them. Okay, how do you take care of sheep? Okay, you have to feed them. All right, what else would you do for them? Yes, you should be nice to the sheep. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and one of the ways you can be nice to a sheep is you have to show it where to go, right? You guide the sheep. Um, what about when wild animals attack? What would you need to do if you're a good shepherd? Yeah, not run away, right? You've got to fight. You've got to defend the sheep. Now, this is really interesting because the Bible compares us to what? To sheep. Now, what are some of the characteristics of sheep? What do you guys know about sheep? Okay. <laughs> okay, that's, that's pretty blunt but pretty accurate. They are stupid. Okay, all right. Yeah, there's that verse in, in Isaiah, the paraphrase, all we like dumb sheep have gone astray. But you know, here's, here's something interesting. You may not know this. Psalm 23 is often called the shepherd psalm. And King David is talking about how God is his shepherd. And he says in one verse, you anoint my head with oil. Remember that in Psalm 23? And a lot of people think, well, that's the reference to when, you know, David is anointed as a king of Israel. But there's more to it than that because shepherds would actually put oil on the face of sheep, on their little snouts, and here's why. Because sheep are really stupid. And what they'll do is stick their nose into a rock or a crevice where there's snakes. And the snakes are repelled by the odor of the oil. And it's just another way that the shepherd protects the sheep. Now, people, of course, never stick their noses where they don't belong, so they don't have that problem. But that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? So yeah, there's all these characteristics of sheep. Did you know that a sheep will blindly follow another sheep? Like if one sheep goes over the cliff, the other, oh, boom, <laughs> just go right down. And sheep not only are just kind of dumb, they have no homing instinct. If they get lost, they're going to die unless somebody comes and rescues them. And isn't that true of us? And that's what the story of the gospel is, that we're lost, we're separated from God by our sin, but the good shepherd comes, and what does he do? He rescues us. How does Jesus rescue us? You remember the verse? What does he do? He lays down his life for the sheep. 
Jesus is our good shepherd. Aren't you glad about that this morning? Okay, now here's another name. In fact, we're going to go back and review because I want you guys to get this. In fact, you know what we might do? There are so many names of Jesus. We might do this every Sunday after Christmas for a couple of years to go through all these names. But what's the first name of Jesus? Alpha and Omega. What's the second? King of the Jews. What's the third? Good. What's the fourth? All right. And here's number five. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And look at this verse. It says, the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, what is John talking about? Well, how many of you are familiar with something called Passover? Yeah, the Jewish people for thousands of years have been celebrating Passover. And that's a reference to an event that takes place in the Old Testament. You probably recall that God's people are slaves in Egypt. And God tells Moses, hey, you go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and you tell him that I said, let my people go so that they can worship me on my mountain. And, of course, Pharaoh's pretty stubborn and hard-hearted, and so God sends certain plagues. Do you remember any of the plagues, by the way? What are some of the plagues? Frogs. Yeah. Any, any other plagues? Okay, locusts. That the water was turned to blood. Yeah, all these different plagues, darkness and flies and all kinds of stuff. Remember the last plague? The last plague, God said that the firstborn in each family in the entire nation would die unless those families took the blood of a lamb and put that blood on the doorpost. And if they put the blood on the doorpost, God would pass over that house and they would be spared God's judgment. And God was getting his people ready to understand that there was a lamb coming who would be the final sacrifice. And if you're covered in his blood, so to speak, by faith in him, that God would pass over you in terms of judgment. In fact, it's really interesting because the week before Jesus is crucified, as he enters the city of Jerusalem, at that very moment, people were choosing their Passover lamb. And they would do that. They'd go buy a lamb and celebrate Passover. It was as if God was saying, here's my lamb. Choose him. Because he is the lamb of God. All right, we're going to go on to the next one, but we're going to review. You ready? Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He's the King of the Jews. He's the Bread of Life. He's the, he's the Good Shepherd. He's the... And here's number six. This is one of my favorite. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Lion of Judah. Now, when I say the word lion, what movies do you think of? What movies? Okay, Lion... How many of you have seen Lion King? Okay, how many of you have seen Lion King like so many times you don't even know how many times you've seen it? <laughs> okay. Um, what's, what's another movie with a lion in it that's really famous? Has Dorothy and Toto. Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. And there's a lion, right? And what does that lion want? Remember what he needs from the wizard? He needs courage because lions are supposed to have what? Courage. And one of my favorite lion movies is a story that was originally written by C.S. Lewis called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. How many of you are familiar with that story or that movie? And the lion has a name. What's the lion's name in that story? Aslan. And there's a great line in the book that says, Aslan is on the move. Jesus is Aslan in that book, and Jesus is on the move. Now, this is interesting. It says in the Bible, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. Now, 
What does that phrase mean, tribe of Judah? What's a tribe? What's a tribe? Well, it's sort of like a family group, uh, an extended family. In the Bible, Israel has how many tribes? Do you know? Twelve tribes, all right? It's sort of like our church family could be considered a tribe. Hey, I'm from the tribe of BBCC. Now, what about Judah? Well, King David was from the tribe of Judah, and Mary and Joseph were also from the tribe of Judah, so their little boy is from the tribe of Judah. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Now, we said that lions are, are courageous, that lions are powerful. Now, how does Jesus demonstrate his power as the lion of Judah? What are some things that Jesus does that shows that he has power? What would you say? What's that? Okay, he cured the sick. He had power over disease, right? I mean, that's significant power. Just to touch the eyes of a blind person and, and they can see or, or tell somebody who's lame to get up and walk and they jump up and dance. Yeah, that's significant power. What are some other things Jesus did to demonstrate his power? Okay, calm the sea. Exactly. He's asleep in a boat and he stands up and tells the winds and the waves to shut up. That's exactly what he does. And it just becomes calm. That's some serious power. And do you remember the story? This is in John chapter 11. He has a really good friend, Lazarus, who dies. What does Jesus do? Yeah. Can you imagine that? I mean, Lazarus has been dead for how long? Four days. They roll the stone away. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out! And he does. Dead man walking because of the power of the lion of Judah. Amazing. Now, let's, um, let's go on. Here is the last name of Jesus, and we're going to review one more time. Are you ready? We're going back to the beginning. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He's also the good. He's the bread of life. He's the good shepherd. He's the Lamb of God. And finally, oh, line of Judah. And the last one, number seven. And by the way, there's one for every day of the week. So you could actually use your devotional guide and talk about this with your family throughout the week. But here's number seven. And that's by intention. Number seven, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I heard a story one time about this um, church, and they were doing a Christmas program, and this one little boy had one line to deliver, and his line was this, Jesus is the light of the world. But it became obvious that he was just terrified. And the night of the performance, he was on stage, and he just forgot his line. Fortunately, his mom was sitting in the front row, and she was trying to prompt him, and so she whispered, Jesus. And she thought, oh, okay, I'll change it. I am the light of the world. And her little boy was still nervous and, and still frozen in place. And a little louder, she whispered, I am the light of the world. And she did it a third time. I am the light of the world. And the little boy stood up straight and tall, and in a loud voice said, my mother is the light of the world. <laughs> Kids, let me ask you this. What does it feel like to walk through a really dark place? What does that feel like? That's scary, isn't it? Because you could fall down and get hurt and you might get lost. Now, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever lost your power at home at night and it was really dark? And then the lights came on all of a sudden. How does that make you feel? Yeah, really happy because now you can see. That's what happened the first Christmas. There was this dark world and the light came on because Jesus was born. The one who created all things became the light of the world. And Jesus probably said this, by the way, when he's walking through the temple during Hanukkah. 
which is a festival of lights. And he says, no, wait, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, one, one closing thing. If you look at your handout, kids, there's a verse, Acts 4.12, that says, Verse of the week, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by, what, by which we must be, and what's the last word? Saved. See, the name Jesus means God saves. Jesus is our Savior. How many of you have ever seen a fish emblem on somebody's car? Maybe you have one on your own car. All right. Do you know what that stands for, by the way? The letters? It doesn't, well, it's called the ichthus, which is the Greek word for fish. So here's what it means. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And it's really interesting because you know the shape of the fish, just two arcs? They found this ichthus in many places, particularly in the catacombs, which is where the Christians would hide out during times of persecution. But they could do this. Um, you could walk up to somebody on the street, and in the sand you could draw the ark. And if they were a fellow believer, they could complete it and make the sign of the fish. So Jesus is your Savior too. That's remarkable. Let me read you a really quick story. It goes like this. An honest man was being tailgated by a stressed out woman on a busy boulevard. Suddenly the light turned yellow just in front of him. He did the right thing, stopping at the crosswalk, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. The tailgating woman hit the roof and then the horn, screaming in frustration as she missed her chance to get through the intersection. She was still in mid-rant when she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her to exit her car with her hands up. He took her to the police station where she was fingerprinted, photographed, and then placed in a holding cell. After a couple of hours, a policeman approached the cell and opened the door. She was escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. He said, I'm, I'm very sorry for this mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn and cursing a blue streak at the other man. I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk, and so naturally I assumed that the car was stolen. <laughs> Church, I, I want to leave you with this thought on this last Sunday of, of 2015. I wanted, to, I wanted to say something to challenge you and something to encourage you. And here's what I want to say to challenge you. If you're a Christian this morning, if Jesus is your Savior, we need to represent him well in this world. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have because if you're a believer, you have a great hope in Jesus Christ. And my prayer is in this new year, 2016, as individuals, as families, as a church, that we would be more intentional and more serious about sharing the hope that we have as followers of Christ. And here is my, my encouragement to you as well. When Jesus is your Savior, you need to really understand your position, your relationship with God. And here's what I mean. When Jesus is your Savior, it means that he died for you. It means that you can't do anything to earn God's approval or God's favor. That you are totally accepted by God. Now listen carefully. Because you're totally accepted, you have nothing to prove to God. 
Do you realize that? And here's something else I want you to know. Because Jesus is your Savior, because he died for you, you are completely, completely forgiven. And because you're completely forgiven, you have nothing to hide from God because he knows everything about you and everything about me. And because Jesus is your Savior, because he loves you so much that he laid down his life for you, because nothing in this world or the next, nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of Christ, you have nothing to fear. And so as we walk into the future, as we enter this new year, here's how we need to live as followers of Christ. We need to remember that we have nothing to prove. We have nothing to hide. And church, we have nothing to fear. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for these names of Jesus that remind us of, of who he is and what he came to do. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, your goodness and your grace would just go deep into our hearts. Father, um, you've given us a future and you've given us a hope. And I pray that in this coming year, God, that we would share that hope with others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last song together.